Welcome to the Boom Clap Podcast. Today, we are discussing the book Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City by Stacey Manning and Katie Faust. We've had Katie on with us before. Super excited about this episode for you guys. She's always just, I don't know, she's sharp. That's the best way I can think Mm -hmm. of to describe her. She's sharp, she's quick-witted and easy to talk to. Really, really enjoyed the conversation with her. And I think that you guys will too. If you guys don't remember, Katie Faust is the founder and president of Them Before Us, a global children's rights nonprofit. Uh, She says between soccer and carpool, church duty, she's a mom on a mission against a progressive overreach, a global, a globe trotting speaker, handshaking policy influencer, and regular contributor to a variety of conservative outlets. She testifies and publishes widely on controversial topics such as men and women are different and children should not be bought and sold. And that's kind of a joke because those shouldn't be controversial, right? Yeah. Um, she helped design the teen edition of Witherspoon's Institute, Canavox, which is um, a study on sex, gender, marriage, and relationships from a natural law perspective. It's a great interview. You guys are going to enjoy it. Uh, Cecily, do you have anything to say about it before I get into asking for reviews? <laughs> no, I don't. It's just that she's always so great to talk to. Yeah. Can't wait yeah, till she- our next time. Yeah. Yeah. She is. I'm sure she will be on again. Um, mm-hmm. Guys, before we get into the episode, as always, please, if you haven't, leave us a review. I got on there last night and there were four new reviews and they just filled my cup. I sent them to Cecily yeah. and I guess I shouldn't need this external validation, but... <laughs> but here we are. Yeah, <laughs> and we <but> do. <laughs> I mean, I got a five-month-old. It's like trying mm-hmm. to get him down and make sure my girls are equipped to be able to take mm-hmm. care of him when I come down to record. This is not without work for Cecily mm-hmm. or I. Kyle mm-hmm. had to milk your goats this morning for you. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, there's there's sacrifice we make to be able to do this podcast. It's always good and it's always worth it. But um, hearing from you guys what you like about the episodes and getting those reviews so it helps propel us to new listeners is super, super helpful and we really appreciate it. So if you take the time to leave us a five-star and type out what you like about the podcast, we thank you for that. Let's hear from Katie. Hey, Katie, we're glad to have you back. I know- I'm so glad to be back. I just think you guys are great. Oh, thank you. (laughs) You're so kind to us. (laughs) Our last interview with you was on the Them Before Us book. We'll mention that in the intro too, guys. So you can go back and find that interview because it was really good um, Mm -hmm. and really eye-opening a conversation that people don't even know they need to have. So this is is fun and exciting to have you back because that one was so great. But so your book, we just got done reading the, uh, I guess, PDF pre- release version. This is a second PDF version we've read from you. And it was really good. It was really good. It's called um, Raising, oh my gosh, Raising Conservatives in a Woke City. Close. Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. I don't don't know why like that just escaped me. But anyway, (laughs) um, good. And it lays out a roadmap for how to do it. And that's, I think, what I liked about it the most. It gives like practical pointers to parents so they know what to do. I would normally ask, why did you write this book? But I think the title itself explains it. That's what you're doing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's literally and what you're doing. It's literally what we're doing. And, you know, we, I'm really passionate about two things, honestly. And like one of them is when you look at the cultural, legal, and technological changes that are taking place in the world today, you know, I, my thought about all of that is don't touch the kids. Whatever's going mm-hmm. on in your world like of your marriage, your family, your technology, and how we're using that to create children in laboratories. Don't touch the kids. Leave the kids Mm -hmm. alone. So that's kind of what our first interview is about. And 
I'm really passionate about that, but I'm also passionate about something else, which is don't touch my kids, Mm. leave my kids alone. And so Mm -hmm. that's what the second book is about. It's really about like, even when the schools, social media, um, the culture, maybe your kid's friend group, maybe your extended family is against you and nobody's reflecting your values. Um, how can you make sure that this woke culture that really is trafficking, damaging ideologies that will destroy your children's heart and mind and body? How can you make sure that that doesn't touch your kids? Mm. So that's what we tried to do in the second book is say, take these timeless parenting principles and apply them to our current cultural moment to mm-hmm. make sure that this virus is not going to infect your children. How can you inoculate them? against Mm -hmm. all of these damaging ideas. So that's what we try to do is it is really a parenting philosophy on worldview transmission. And we try to give sort of tips and tricks um, and practical guidance at every stage of your child's development. Yeah. There's a lot of practical guidance in this book. That's, that's the best part about it. It's a roadmap of how to raise kids to, like you said, inoculate them from all of this craziness. Um, I think this actually was in the forward. I don't think you or Stacy said it, but I do want to address it. It says, but while we weren't looking in short order, the world went mad. And basically it goes on to say in a short decade, parents of all stripes, um, no matter if you're Christian, conservative, where you're at, looked up to find themselves parenting upside down. And in my mm-hmm. mind, you can't be flipped upside down without going sideways first, right? And we have went sideways for a really long time. There was a progression. It wasn't just all of a sudden, um, but it was because people were comfortable not looking, right? Uh, For a very long time. And so what do you say to the parents or people who have similar views to us, but don't want to look still because they're comfortable or they only want to look at the big issues that you can't look away from, like the mm. reels that we see all over social media of the, mm-hmm. you know, trans book club hour or whatever, you know, that's all they want to look at. Cause there's other little things that led us here. Right. Well, and I'm just going to crib that from you, girl. Like you can't get upside down before going sideways. That's such, I mean, Rita, you just nailed it. <laughs> so write a book, Rita, write a book. Well, I think that maybe there's places in the country or around the world where parents are like, I don't really have to worry about this. My kids are going to be fine. Those aren't the people I'm talking to. Mm. I mean, I don't know if it's just because I'm in Seattle, but I mean, the parents that I'm talking to that are in red states, whose kids are in private school, even kids who are being homeschooled. I mean, you can see the influence coming in through the friend groups. You can see the impact that social media is having on your kids. There really is no place Uh, you know, there is no bubble that you can put your kids in where they're not going to be touched, where they're not going, where these damaging ideologies are not going to encroach on them. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, as we argue in the book, even if you do like cocoon them in the basement until they're 18, that actually is not the right way to raise kids. Mm -hmm. The point of parenting, as we talk about in, I think chapter three is the whole point of parenting is not to keep your kids safe. It is training. You are here to train them. And that does mean risk. Like training is going to involve some level of risk and exposure. The challenge for good parents in general, but also parents that are raising kids in a hostile culture is what kind of risk do you expose them to at what ages and who does it, right? Those are really the questions that you have to be asking. So one reason why we wrote the book, I co-wrote it with my um, co-author Stacy again, um, is 
that this is the question that every parent that I know is asking, regardless of whether or not your kids are in kindergarten or in high school, homeschooled, middle school, uh, I'm sorry, homeschool, private school, public school. Um, it doesn't matter where, what zip code you're in. All of us are like, this culture has gone nuts. It's absolutely nuts. And the parents might know what they believe, but they're terrified that their kids are going to be captured. So that's what we're trying to do is say, your kids don't have to be victims. They can absolutely be victorious, but it does not happen by accident. So you better get serious. Yeah. And I think that's, that's what I'm observing. Like you had said at the beginning of that, that the, the people that just assume their kids are going to be fine, you're not talking to them. And I do see a lot of those people because while I do live in British Columbia, it's fairly liberal in the area that I live in and in a, by, with a lot of people I'm surrounded by, they're fairly conservative, you know? Mm-hmm. And so you can have this false sense of like security in the fact that your values are going to be easily passed on to your kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you see this a lot with people that have their kids in Christian schools as well. Um, but I'm seeing Christian schools that are government funded having to push a lot of the things that the culture is pushing. And it's interesting because I think when you're in a geographic area, and this can change by literally the kilometer or the mile, mm-hmm. uh, you that can change, right? And so a few weeks ago, I was in Seattle, and it was the first time I had been there in about 10 years, which is crazy because I live close enough that we could go frequently. But just with how the world has been, it's been hard to get down. 10 years ago in Seattle, I loved it. I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was gorgeous. I loved everything about it. Fast forward to 2023. First thing I saw driving into Seattle, kind of on the outskirts there, was this horrible, disgusting van that said on the side, Republicans are a disease, and then progressed into the rest of the city. And it was dirty and it was filthy and it was like indoctrination everywhere. And then just last week, I was in Nashville with a group of uh, worship leaders and tech from my church. And it, it became a joke that I would so often say, oh, if we were in Seattle, that would be like this, or you would never see that in Seattle. Or it was just like, I, I brought it up so often because of the, the stark difference. And again, it just goes to show geographic area really can make you feel like if you're in Nashville or the surrounding area, you might think, mm, this isn't gonna touch my kids. Um, whereas if you're in Seattle, you know, darn well that it will, but Mm -hmm. the fact is it's actually going to touch them wherever they are. Mm -hmm. It's just, you have this false sense of security in those more quote, conservative states, provinces, areas, you know? Yeah. I travel a couple times a month for my nonprofit work. And like whenever I'm in South Dakota or I was in Nashville, um, in July, um, or Ohio or something like, well, you know, you're not in Seattle because there's no mattresses on the side yeah. of the highway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, crazy. yeah. There's no illusions here about what yeah. we're up against. And yeah. so the parents that I know are very, very intentional. And I've got friends who are intentionally parent- parenting their kids homeschool and doing great. Their kids are great. Mm-hmm. And I've got friends whose kids are private schooled also doing, I mean, generally, right. And I've got friends whose kids have largely grown up in public school. And the ones that have parented their kids intentionally are doing good. I mean, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would say in all three of those groups, there's obvious, I mean, these are children, they are not robots. So all of the things that we're talking about are principles, right? These are our best practice that we've got, but because our children are not little robots, 
I'm not going to be able to say, oh, guaranteed you fall this ding, ding, ding. Everything's going to be okay. I mean, there's no guarantees with parenting, Mm -hmm. but Mm -hmm. this is what we know in terms of the best way to replicate yourself in your children, um, stay connected to them, make sure that they are able to spot the lie, stand against the crowd when needed and push back against aggressive adults. So we, between my co-author and I and um, our respective fantastic husbands who also participated in this chattering project of ours, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um, we've got seven kids from elementary school currently all the way up to college. Um, We've had a, you know, we've got boys and girls, we've got a variety of personalities um, and we've been able to see that largely they've been able to do this. They've been able Mm -hmm. to say, my teacher's lying to me. I don't exactly Mm -hmm. know what's going on yet, but I'm going to go home. We're going to figure out what, you know, that man, mom was manifest destiny. Is that a racist document? What's going on with that? You know, like they know enough to say mm. something's not right here. Question it. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, you know, they've got convictions intact. So by the time they're in high school, like they're working out how to live that out while they're under our roof. So to me, um, you know, that's the recipe. And we talked about it in the book that when my husband and I, my husband and I have been doing youth ministry since we were in college. So mm. spoiler, like close to 30 years. And um, all the way through our youth ministry work, we would really, we really saw two different kinds of parenting, you know, in the Christian world, especially one of them was absolute isolation and sheltering, Mm -hmm. right? They would not expose their kids to anything outside of Christian six day creation. You know, Jesus is the only way the Bible's our only authority, which girl, I'm like, the Bible is my ultimate authority, you know? But mm-hmm. they would never let them encounter the outside world. Um, and then they would go to college. And the first time they read the Da Vinci Code, they'd be like, oh my gosh, this is really the entire world, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like they would just fall apart because they had never encountered any idea that challenged their worldview. But then mm-hmm. you also have the parents, um, and I would say this is sort of American parenting in general, that was laissez-faire, hands-off, what we would call self-directing, like let the child right. self-direct. They mm-hmm. determine everything about themselves, their schedule, their gender. You know, they decide it's, it's child-led parenting, which is ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Children need high constraints when they are young. Absolutely. That's when you teach yeah. them self-government, governance, self-discipline. Um, and if you don't have that kind of um, allowing your child the structure that they need, but then the slow exposure to the world... Um, you know, they're going to wither. And so the parents that had no constraints, no direction, no nothing, those kids couldn't function either, you know, and they were making high stakes mistakes with their mm-hmm. cars and their bodies and their money when they were in high school. So my husband and I decided, you know, way before we had a solid parenting philosophy overall, that when we had kids, we were going to shelter them. I'm sorry, we were going to shepherd them through everything they were going to face in the world while they were in our house. There was going to be nothing that they encountered out in the world or in college that we had not first talked with them about and allowed them to walk through while they were buffered by Mm -hmm. us on all sides. And that kind of was the foundation of how we started to then inculcate our worldview in our kids, which we lay out here, you know, doing like, what do you do in elementary school? What do you do in middle school? What do you do in high school? So, um, yeah, this is in my opinion, you know, I think especially because we are in a hostile culture, we have been forced to figure this out um, in more detail than most parents might have to. But you do need the balance between sheltering and complete exposure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that 
the Da Vinci Code quote, I had that one written down because that was so good. You know, you said these are the kids that could have their faith unraveled with one viewing of Da Vinci Code. And I'm like, yes, that happens. And this concept is not foreign to our listeners because Cecily and I do homeschool, but we talk about all the time that our rationale for that is not that we want to shelter our kids Mm -hmm. from the conversations. It's that we want to be the ones initiating the conversation and starting this with our kids, right? Um, So this is a... A concept we have discussed here before. Um, one thing you, you said get the, in the raising book- conservative kids seal of approval. Good job. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. We awesome. get the stamp. <laughs> I'm, I have this visual in my head of like the, you know the little stamp that goes on the t- on the front of a book or something. Um, okay, so you, <laughs> we women tend to prepare the road for the child rather than prepare the child for the road. That was a quote from the book, and I thought that was so solid. It just illustrates that point what you just talked about. Um, but the founder's principle. This is a very concise way of saying you want to be the first one to have the conversation, right? Um, and one thing you said about that, you were Stacy, I'm not sure which, but it says, which means you'll have rights of first refusal to every follow-up conversation. I thought that was excellent. Yeah, that's that would be Stacy's brilliant wordsmithing happening. Um, and that's exactly right. So the founder's principle, I was just talking with a journalist this morning, was like, what's the biggest three points of your book? And the first, like one of them is get to your kids first, which is the founder's Mm -hmm. principle. Um, And what that means is the first person to talk with your child about a difficult subject, they will automatically consider the expert. So the example that we give in the book is if the first time your kid knows or, or understands or is aware of naked pictures on the internet or people having sex on video on the internet is when a fourth grader in his class puts a smartphone in his face. If he has questions about porn in the future, he will ask the person that introduced him to the subject. Mm -hmm. He will go to the fourth grader and say, what was that? Where did you find that? Like, like, how did you know where to go for that? I, I, I don't even know what that is. What's that called? And Mm -hmm. so I'm not saying, and we're not saying in the book, Hey, you need to go into detail about pornography, but your kids need to know that you know what it is, right? You actually need to give your kids a heads up of what the world is going to be throwing at them because the world's going to throw it at them. And they need to think in their head when somebody tells them, you know, a man can become a woman, they need to think, my mom knows about that. My mom told me about that. Or my dad and I listened to um, a podcast and they, they were talking about that thing called trans right? That is what you need. They need to know that you know about these things. You can introduce it in age appropriate ways. You can say things like, honey, there's a lot of screens in your world and there's something um, on screens called porn. And sometimes it's going to be naked people that you'll see in pictures, or it might be a video of people having sex and it's yucky. And so if that ever happens to you, just close the computer and you come and tell me and I'll help you out right? That's what we're talking about. And you have to introduce these concepts to your kids. You have to be the first one to say, you know, honey, sometimes people that don't want to be pregnant will kill their babies while they're still pregnant. And that's called abortion. And so if you ever have questions about that, or if you hear about it, mommy wants to talk with you about it. Okay. It's sad. Um, but I just wanted to let you know that it's out there. So I'm not, you know, we're not saying go into details about the process of chemical abortion. We're saying that, and we're not even saying this is the emphasis for teaching in elementary school. What we are saying is 
you know, what, what we say in the book, better a year too early than five yeah. minutes too late. That was that good. You have to, and, and this culture is psycho and we should never have to talk to our kids about porn or abortion, but yeah. with, that is the culture that we are in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you can either train your child to walk the road, the real road, which is going to assault them with all kinds of damaging ideologies, or you can believe that you can change the road for your kid. You know what I mean? So we're just equipping you for the real world. And actually it's very empowering. Um, You know, our, our kids don't mess with our kids. Like you can't mess with our kids. So good. No, as you were talking, I was just, my heart was breaking because that is the reality of the world that we live in, that these things are even a concern. I was speaking with someone a couple weeks back and they were talking about this school where pornography was a real big problem in the sixth grade classroom. And I'm just like, oh, how sad that this is even a thing. And then, yeah, if your child was in that sixth grade classroom where this was an actual issue, but they had no idea. It's just, it's so hard to even think about because it breaks your heart that our beautiful, innocent children have to understand the reality of this broken world that we live in, but they do. And yeah. it's, it's hard to come to terms with that. Well, and the reality is um, we're kind of coming out of a bit of a golden age when it comes mm. to a world where it's friendly towards children. Um, but Christians have raised their kids in a lot worse throughout right. history. Um, and so we, we can do this. We must do this. Our kids need us to do this. Um, and you don't need to be afraid. Like the world is ugly and it's harsh, but I'll also say this, you know, our kids are largely, you know, I say largely in public schools. My kids have had some scattered private school here and there. Um, but there's my kids have no illusions and Stacy's kids have no illusions about what the world has to offer them. Mm. Like public school actually serves as a bit of a foil for the conservative and the Christian worldview because mm. they know they know the destruction and the devastation um, that comes through following through on the principles that the world is giving you about making your sexual feelings, your entire identity or having Mm -hmm. consent be the only limiting principle, you know, or distorting the ideas of American history or determining that not every person has inherent worth and dignity, but your worth and dignity is reliant upon your skin color or your Mm -hmm. victim status or whatever it is. Like my kids know, and Stacy's kids know that what the world has to offer is garbage and destructive because they're seeing the destruction in front of them. So in a sense, like it offers such a stark contrast to the Christian and conservative worldview, which does defend the dignity of all people, which does lead to human Mm -hmm. flourishing, which does lead to prosperity. Mm -hmm. So um, that's the nice thing. It's like, I, I think that I wasn't a Christian when I was growing up, but some of the Christians in my world in high school kind of looked at their church and they're like, well, that's the backward place that's unscientific where I can't ask any good questions. Mm-hmm. And it's the world that has all the answers. And it's the world that offers me freedom and liberation. And the kids in our homes and certainly the kids in our youth ministry, they can't ask these questions at school, right? They know mm-hmm. that they know that the world, the world will cancel them. They can yeah. have church <clears throat> and they get information about biological reality, right? Mm-hmm. They get information about genuine history. Church and home is the place where they can say, 
can somebody change their gender? And the parents will go, let's talk about that. Let's really figure it out. And so there's negatives when it comes to raising kids in an insanely liberal city. But again, like if you're serious about equipping your kids, you actually have the possibility of forming a robust worldview in them in a way that I don't know if Christians of 20, 30 years ago, you know, really had that same opportunity. Well, it's such a good point. And, but I do, I consider the fact that you're such an intentional parent, right? And Stacey's the same. What, what scares me is to think of the non-intentional Christian parent, because the truth is they exist that sends their kid to public school, but without that training that you were talking about, right? Like what is worth? What is dignity? Where does your identity come from? Like if this is the sad reality that you're right, 20 to 30 years ago, this was very common where you were raised in a Christian house and you went to church and you didn't really think too much about it because that's just the way it was. Everyone was like that. Now it's, that's just not the case, but not all Christian parents have caught up to the fact that we have to be intentional at home and at church with actually training our kids. And I think that's so much of that falls to the wayside, unfortunately, because again, people just don't want to believe that their kids might not be okay in the public school system or in the private schools or even in homeschool. If we are not intentionally training Christian worldview, it's that's the end of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I would you're say right. that, you, like, regardless of where your kids are, you are mm-hmm. the primary educator and you need to get very absolutely. serious about inculcating your values in your children mm-hmm. from the minute they can talk. Yeah, absolutely. I would say that was sort of my upbringing. You know, we went to church and went to school and, you know, it, it was just kind of like my parents were intentional. Don't get me wrong. Like they didn't just send me to school and not care about what I was learning, but there wasn't there wasn't what there is now. And it is the Mm -hmm. blessing that comes with persecution. And I use that term loosely, that Christianity flourishes more when there is some level of persecution. You have to be intentional about it. But like Cecily Mm -hmm. said, you know, parents do have to be intentional then. Um, That reminds me of that Doug Wilson book I read. Um, It's kind Mm -hmm. of a case, it's called Excused Absence. And it's basically a case against um, sending your kids to public school because Christianity is not infused in public school and God needs to be part of math and everything, right? Because that's where this all comes from. It's not just like schools over here, science, math, um, biology, like all of these things are over here. And then here's church, you know, those things need to be melded together. And so I've kind of been wrestling with that a little bit when it comes to um, school in general. I don't know. That's just an offshoot. That's just something I I was thinking about. I think that's where it's like, no matter how your kids are educated though, if you remember that the parent is the primary teacher that kind of builds it, you know what I mean? And so it kind of erases that. Well, my kids can't understand that math is create, um, is linked with God and science is linked with God. They can understand that if they have that intentional parenting. Right. And I, and I think that people that are sending their kids to classical Christian schools, those kids are getting a great education. And that's yeah. fantastic because they are getting the truth and beauty, a lot of truth and beauty, especially in those elementary school years, which I think is fantastic. Um, the, but it's still, you know, I, I know kids who are at those classical Christian schools who are marrying each other, you know, girls marrying other girls at recess when they're fifth graders, mm-hmm. like because their parents mm-hmm. are like, oh my gosh, you would not believe what happened at our school. You know, right. like, these things are going to find your kids no matter mm-hmm. where they are. And so you need to be inculcating and, and not, 
outsourcing it to the schools because their fourth grade teacher will not be there next year, but you will. And so you need to be the source that kids know that they can go back to for good information. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, we tell you what kind of good information you need to cover in the elementary school years. And then all throughout, you need to focus on staying connected to your kids because um, that, that relationship is one of the biggest factors of making sure that this woke culture does not capture and consume them. Our sponsor for this episode is World Watch News. If you've been listening to us for a while, this is going to be familiar for you because they were our sponsors, I guess, last year it would have been. I've totally lost track of time. They are such an incredible outlet. Rita and I both use World Watch News. I know many of you do already. I actually heard from someone that got their whole school subscribed to World Watch News because they heard about it on our podcast. That's how much people love World Watch News. It's news for kids, for teens, that talks about things locally, globally, nationally. The stories they pull out are the kinds of stories that lead to deep conversations with your kids and also can be fun and light. Like they do such a great job. So when we confirmed that they were our sponsors again for this fall. I was just so happy because I feel like after using them for a year plus, I'm more excited to talk about how great Mm -hmm. they are. And that says a lot. You know what I mean? Yeah. We haven't gotten tired of this. They also have a print magazine that's out from God's World News. And you guys need to check that out because I don't know about your kids, but I have one kid in particular who loves newspapers and magazines and just having something physical to read. So This is something that we're really looking forward to is this print magazine. And I think that it would be a great addition to any family. So click on that link in our show notes to be taken to World Watch News and get started on your free trial. So regardless of where your kids are being educated, you know, if you think you're shielding them from some of this at school by home educating, you need to be involved in that aspect, right? Of making sure that they are getting these conversations. And then at mm-hmm. school, you know, you know you're not shielding them from that. So you're involved in the conversation, but also you need to be involved in making sure they know, you know, the foundations for where all of these things mm-hmm. come from, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Christianity. Yeah. So regardless, you can't get away from being involved. This that's, that's right. the bottom line. Um, I want to yeah. go really quick back to the founder's principle, just one thing you said. It just Hearing you talk about it, I heard it a little bit differently than I did by reading it. And it just really visualized for me and laid out for me, your kids are getting these concepts and ideas regardless, right? And so if you're introducing it, your kids hear this and they either just have the concept and idea right there without your introduction, but with you introducing it, when they hear the concept and idea, they're also getting you and your family values along with it. You know what I mean? They can either... (laughs) have this cup full of a concept and idea, or they can have concept, idea, family values that come into mind when they hear it. So yeah, that's that's right. Somebody is going to introduce the concept of racism to your kids, right? Who do you want to be shaping that initial conversation? And it needs to be you. A, because you're going to help them view it correctly. And B, you're the person for follow-up when they have more, when they need more information about it. And you're going to do it in a way that doesn't violate their innocence. You know, the reason why there was this huge freak out about Florida's parental rights bill, the supposed don't say gay bill, which just said, don't talk to elementary school kids about sex. That's literally what that bill said. The reason why there was such a freak out by the left about that is because 
they know that if they can talk to kids first about sex, they mm-hmm. will then become the authority in the lives of kids, right? They understand the founder's principle. They understand right. that if they can get to your kids first, that now the kids will turn to the school or the internet or the YouTube influencer if they want more information. And mm-hmm. so they get to then define what the issues are and how kids should think about it. And then if you come in later, you have to undo right the foundation that's already been laid. So yeah, the founder's principle is getting to your kids first is just a non-negotiable if you're going to mm-hmm. transmit your worldview to your kids. Yeah. All right, let's go on to the no flinch rule. This is excellent. And we'll get into the no flinching on these major conversations, but I wanna read this paragraph. I felt like it was one of the best paragraphs in the whole book. It says, it's our opinion... It's our opinion that teens are the smartest, stupid people on the planet. Mm -hmm. This manifests by way of young people who listen but do not hear, usually because they aren't asking but being told. Many times we both have been surprised by a question from our kids that very they very much should know the answer. It's just as important to employ the no flinch rule in such circumstances as it is when they bring you a jaw dropper. Having your kids ask if they should wash their hands before they help you cook dinner is exasperating and ridiculous, but just saying yes is better than relationship damaging eye rolls and barrier building raised voice. When you handle the silly stuff with grace, you, not the Google, will be the one they consult mm-hmm. when they know what cutting is. So I just thought that was so good because I am so guilty of being the mom that's like, I mean, seriously, what you, you need to ask that. You need to ask me that. We, we all know you need to brush your teeth every morning or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. it is. So the no flinch rule is really important applied to the big things, but these little things, I thought that was excellent parenting advice. <laughs> the no flinch rule is absolutely critical. So again, like if you are going to be the authority, the primary educator for your kids, you cannot have any barriers between you and your kid when it comes to communication. There, The world is erecting barriers between you and your kids already. The world is telling them you are the enemy. You are against them, right? They're going to oppose your rights, right? They're mm-hmm. going to get in the way of what you want, right? They, they are the oppressors. And, you know, like the world is already throwing up the barriers. You cannot add any additional barriers. And one of the ways that you do add barriers is if your child has to wade through a massive emotional eruption between what the information they need and you know what they ask and the information they need, if in the middle of all of that, they have to deal with your half minute rant about, oh, this <laughs> culture, I can't believe it. It, yeah. it erects a barrier to communication. And mm-hmm. so we talk about how you actually can train your kids to love to come and talk with you. But part of that is you have to stay calm, right? So, you know, we've, it's so interesting. So when your kids are young, this thing that you have to stay calm about is when they start asking you about things that are in the world. Like, you know, your fourth grader, who's who's your daughter, who says, oh, my friend who's a girl has a crush on me and says we can get married when we're older, right? So in your brain, you go, are you effing kidding me? This guy is stupid. So like, that's the proper response, right? Because it is a culture that is telling kids lies about themselves and lies about the world. But whatever's going on in your head, Mm-hmm. Right. The face is calm and you say, <laughs> that's so interesting. Um, how'd that make you feel when you heard that? What do you think about that? Right. Sometimes you got to ask questions just to figure out, okay, how am I going to deal with this? Um, but the, like give the yourself line, that minute to like, <laughs> it's, yeah, you, sometimes you have to have delay. Talk so you out. can form your thoughts, <laughs> form your thoughts. That's exactly right. But 
the thing is like when your daughter is coming to you and she's telling you that her girlfriend has a crush on her and they're going to get married, she probably is confused. She probably mm-hmm. doesn't feel good about this. And so she actually needs you to like a mother bird, like you process this huge thing for her and then you give it to her, you like give it to her in bite-sized pieces that she can consume. But mm-hmm. if your response means, if she says, if I say this to mom, she's just going to go berserk. You know what she'll do? She's going to Google it. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so like another big principle that we talk about in the book is the no flinch rule. One of the things that it does is it actually helps you, helps your kids to associate you with relief. So when your kids come to you with something that is concerning them, disturbing them, that they've heard that they don't know what to think about or how to process, they need to associate talking with their mother and father with relief. I always feel better when I talk to my parents about this. Even if it's something that there might have to be consequences for, I mean, I would say especially if there's something that has to be consequences for, you train them from the time they're four or five or six or seven mm-hmm. by being the safest place for your kids to land when they you know, have to share something disturbing that they saw online or something that their teacher said that they didn't feel very good about, or even a mistake that they made, right? You saying, thanks for letting me know that. I understand why that really bothered you. That bothers Mm -hmm. me too. Um, So let's figure out what to do now. Instead of the rage, like what you're doing is you're setting your kid up to associate you with relief and you are you are going to need to ride that train all the way through high school because, you know, it's Mm -hmm. when the kids are young, they're bringing to you the things that are happening in the world that really disturbed them. But even like my high schooler, my 16 year old son and I did a little road trip on Saturday and we were listening to podcasts together, which is one of the greatest hacks when it comes to inculcating your kids, listen to things (laughs) together and discuss. But, you know, we were listening to a debate between two different people about sex and how men should prepare themselves for the dating and the sexual world. And you had a couple guys that are like, yeah, I think that you need a 50, you need 50 body counts before you get married. You know, that, wow. that was the advice of these two guys that are training men for the dating um, relationship or the dating world. Um, and, you know, even my son is like, yeah, I've got friends that think that. And I mean, like, even then my no flinch has to come into play. I'm like, you, you what? What friend do you have that? Okay. You know, I'm like, oh, <laughs> Well, you know, do you talk with them about that? You know what I mean? So it's like this no flinch rule, but that my son could say to me, hey, I have people in my world who are saying that. Okay, I am the place, I am the person he needs to be saying all of those things to. So the no flinch rule is the, honestly, one of the best recipes for intimacy with your kids. And you got to start practicing young. Yeah, I gotta get better because I, I just flinched when you said it. Like, <laughs> when you said well, the 50, I flinched. <laughs> I feel like I'm... I think anyway, I think I'm pretty decent at not flinching at the big stuff. But like Rita said about the the stupid questions, that was convicting for me because just the other day, one of my sons said to me, this was actually just yesterday. He's like, can we dig a really big pond in our yard and stock it with trout and salmon so I can go fishing anytime I want? And I don't remember exactly what I said, but, but it wasn't, it was a little bit sarcastic, I think. And I'm just like, I do that a lot. I do like sarcastic, like, uh, no, what are you thinking? Like, good talk, you know, like move on. <laughs> it's like stuff like that. Well, and so that's not to say there's no sarcasm in our house. Okay. That's, oh heavens. And actually once your kids are in high school, I actually think that mocking and sarcasm is an mm. amazing tool. 
but Wonderful. you're not mocking your child. Good to hear. You are jointly mocking the insanity of the culture. Right. And so, you know, like um, they were doing Celebrity Day or something. And you had, you know, all these people coming in, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and like, you know, all mm. of the leftist celebrities and my son who is, makes me cry. He's such a fantastic jokester. But he was like, hey, next year, do you think I should go as Leah Thomas? Which <laughs> swimmer, right? Who's won the male swimmer who's won all of it? And yeah. I'm like, oh yes, please. And I'm like, you know, that's right. <laughs> like, mocking is actually the proper response to a lot mm. of what the culture is throwing at them. And yeah. if you are close to your kids, that's actually an awesome way to connect with them. So we are all about the sarcasm. You just want to tread very lightly when it comes to them approaching you with questions that have mm-hmm. some emotion behind it. Yeah. No, yeah. I say to friends and family often, I'm like, I wouldn't make fun of you if I didn't love you. Yeah. You know, yeah. like it, I just wouldn't. So <laughs> anyway. And especially as teenagers, they typically understand the the ribbing that you can give them, which yeah. is very, very good, but mm-hmm. not at the expense of wide open communication. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Well, I think we've all seen the meme of the woman in the lime green hat that like screaming after Trump's election. It's yeah, like, I actually all, just it's saw like that the for the first time. meme, I think. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. But I think a lot of conservatives have kind of become that with a different set of values. And so the True. no flinch rule wow. is a really good, uh, really good illustration of don't be that. Yeah. And it, it reminds me when you started talking about it, I was thinking of, remember those 90s shirts? I don't know, maybe they were 90s, but keep calm and carry on. I think you guys need to make a version of that to go with the no flinch rule. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Literally, can you just like, come on, staff for me? And you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could use a job since I got fired from the hospital. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, <clears throat> Let's move on to the steps. So you do, I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, you Mm -hmm. do, I watch. Those are your steps that you lay out for parents as they're going through the stages of life with their kids. And I think two, three, and four are probably the easiest. I think step one, I do, you watch is the hardest because you're exampling and modeling. Um, You say you, you are doing, they're watching, we become what we behold. And so I think it's really hard for parents. That's the hardest thing for me is for myself to realize the things I see in my kids. And I'm not even talking about conservative stuff. That's easy. You know, it's just the way we act on a daily basis, knowing that the things that I see in my kids, I don't like, um, that probably came from me. (laughs) That is how it works in my house. (laughs) That's certainly how it works in my house. But this idea, you know, we, we talk about, you can't create something that you are not. So -hmm. if you want your kids to be able to stand alone when needed, to be able to sort through the issues and figure out where's the error here, to be able to adhere to their convictions and not, not unnecessarily trigger the world because you're like, that you stupid libtard or whatever it is. You know, like if you want your kids to be able to responsibly and maturely articulate their worldview in a hostile culture, don't expect them to do that unless they watch you doing it first, mm-hmm. right? So the very first step of inculcating a worldview in your kids that is countercultural is they have to behold you being countercultural in a responsible way, right? In an informed way. Mm-hmm. And so first, the first step is they're going to watch you. And this is actually a discipleship model. Like this is something mm-hmm. that I first saw in churches. Like if you're going to make disciples, um, this is the process of making disciples. 
which is first of all, you have to watch somebody do it. You know, it was just, we were just reading yesterday, like Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? Everybody Mm -hmm. has something that they are beholding. You have to first behold what you want to become, right? And so that's what you are for your kids. You are their first example of what it looks like to articulate a Christian worldview and then interact with culture in a way where you keep your integrity, uh, but you don't bend to the world. So Mm -hmm. that's step number one. And that actually is a very long step that can happen over a long period of time, right? They are watching you um, watch YouTube videos. They are watching you read great books. They are listening with you as you listen to great podcasts. And so a lot of step one is like we give you in chapter one, kind of the areas that need to be conserved. Um, And we didn't call this raising Christian kids because actually there's great resources out there for Christian parents right now in terms of like discipleship. Um, We called it raising conservative kids because there are certain principles that are under attack right now that need to be conserved. And it's not just about raising kids who are against the left or anti-woke. It is raising kids to be for the best ideas from biology, history, Mm. and economics. And so you have to conserve the best ideas that have already been found to be true. So in that first I do you watch phase, they are watching you become an expert. They are watching you consume this good information about the world, about the Christian worldview, about the reality of maleness and femaleness, about life, about the parent-child relationship, about a proper understanding of race, about an an accurate understanding of founding principles. Um, They are watching you and listening to you become an expert. And so it is a bit of a hack, like step one of you becoming the expert and handing this off to your kids goes together. So then once they've watched you do it for a while, the next step is for them to help you do it, right? So I do you watch is step one. And after they've done that for a while, when they're seven or eight or nine or 10, then you can have them start to help you. So one of the ways that I've done this is I do a lot of work. You know, I'm running a nonprofit and I'm raising four kids and I'm a pastor's wife. So I'm super, super involved in church. So the only way that I can work is if I work on top of everything else. So I'm working in the car, I'm working in the grocery line, I'm working when I'm chopping vegetables in, you know, at home, I'm working during carpool. And what I'll do is, you know, I dictate a lot of my emails or I'll dictate a lot of my texts. And so one way that my kids have helped me is when I'm dictating an email saying, Yes. Um, I just wrote that article on surrogacy. The main thing that you need to remember is that surrogacy splits what should be one woman mother into three purchasable and optional women, Mm. genetic mother, birth mother, and social mother. Right. So I'll dictate that. And then I'll hand my phone to my kids and I'll say, edit it for typos, make Mm. sure that I got it right. Mm. So now they're helping me right? Articulate this worldview. And so if you're on social media, you're probably engaging in worldview conversations. First, let your kids watch you do it. But then after a while, let them help you do it. Say, okay, look at what this person asked me. This is my response. Where do you think the holes are? What do you think that I've got wrong? Do you think that, do you want to like, tell me your thoughts on this, right? Pull them in to what you're already doing. So that's step two. It's like, I do you help. And I do you help is going to be two, three, four years of them helping you do the Christian world, the Christian life you know, defending these conservative principles. And then if you've done that well, there's something in them that will say, I want to start doing this, right? Mm -hmm. If you have given them enough exposure 
to these timeless principles, if they have helped you, if they've watched you stand firm, they're going to get an assignment when they're a seventh grader to write a better constitution. And they're going to say, my constitution slays. What are you talking about writing a better constitution? This is a stupid project. I hate this. Why is the teacher having me do this? And then you go, aha, we have just moved into the you do, I help. Okay, Mm. you need to do this assignment, but I am going to help you. And so that you do, I help also lasts a couple of years. And so that is what we talk about. Like this is a slow worldview handoff. You don't go from, I'm going to tell you the truth to ding, you can stand on your own even when everyone's against you. That does not happen by accident. It is a slow drip. It is a slow handoff of your worldview to your kids. But if you do this, you let these stages, I do, you watch, I do, you help, you do, I help, then suddenly they are high schoolers and they are doing, and you are watching. They're doing this. They are standing alone. They are refusing to bend. They are losing friends on social media because they are defending unborn children that they will never meet. Mm -hmm. And they are doing it. And you sit back and you watch and you go, glory be to God. I am so amazed. Okay. So one thing I definitely want to touch on with you, property rights, even with the smallest of things. You talked about Mm -hmm. the example of Susanna Wesley at the end. And then going back up in the book a little bit, there was a free lunch example that Stacy had laid out where I guess you guys were (laughs) sitting outside in the summer and, um, the kit, the school lunch, like free lunch truck pulled up or whatever. And she said, those are not for you. I provide for your needs we provide for your needs as parents, not the state. That is such a good example of live not by lies, the Alexander Solzhenitsyn line that an essay that we have like pulled out so many times in this podcast. But is there anything that you have to add to that? It was so good. Well, just that, you know, she'll never let me live it down because it was like to my utter shame that I'm like, okay, why not? It's free. And Stacy's like, <laughs> Mm-mm, not for you kids. So anyway, she'll never let me live that down. She was happy that we put that in the book. Um, <laughs> what it does actually is that one of the things that need to be conserved, one of the things you need to teach your children to conserve is that the parent-child relationship is distinct from all other relationships. Mm. So in our world, we talk about parental rights, right? And this book is a lot about parental rights in terms of your right to direct your children's upbringing and education and medical care. Okay, so that is true. So we understand that in our world, you actually have to start illustrating and teaching your children that there is something distinct about your relationship to them, that your children belong to you in a way that they don't belong to anyone else. And you belong to your children in a way that no other adult can fill for you. So like our whole entire first book is about children's rights to their own parents. And it's sort of the flip side of the parental rights to your own children. So that is a relationship that is under attack. And it is one of the principles that we outlined that needs to be conserved. And all through the book, what we do is we take these principles that need to be conserved and we tell you what to teach them about those principles in middle, in elementary school. And then what to teach them about those principles in middle school and then how to work those principles out when they are in high school. And so the free lunch situation um, was totally an example of that. Stacy had already communicated to her kids. We provide for you. You belong to us. One of the reasons that we are different is because we are responsible for meeting your needs. The state is not responsible for meeting your needs because you don't belong to them. And there's something about belonging and provision that go together. 
right? So she had already laid the foundation and that was just one example of driving it home in the real world. And so that's what you're going to be doing, right? We talk in the book about how the world is your classroom. The, the reality is the world is conservative. All of these principles that we're teaching about biological, historical, and economics, it's really just reflections of the real world, reality, the reality of human nature, the reality of how we function together economically, the reality of what happened in history. And so if you're teaching your kids a conservative worldview, you get to use the world to illustrate, right? The world becomes your classroom, both for teaching the true and the beautiful, and then also for illustrating the damaging and the destructive aspects of the woke ideology and the woke world. Mm -hmm. So you like, you can do this parent. Like, I don't care where you are. You can do this. And your ability to transmit your worldview is so powerful if, if you get very intentional about it. So like, that's what we hope the book is. It's just empowering, hopeful, um, because I think that parents are petrified and rightly so, because the world is out to evangelize and disciple them into a worldview that will destroy them if we let it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. One thing that we mentioned beforehand that we wanted to bring up, um, there was an ammunition joke in there and it mentioned like school shooter thing. And then there was another part where Stacy said something about like her haters and not, um, if they were drowning, she wouldn't want to save them <laughs> unless she knew they would die on the beach of dehydration. And so Cecily and I are very much like, okay with joking and all of that stuff. But those parts made me just like slightly uncomfortable. And so I want you to address that to our listeners. So if they pick up this book, they're not like, you know, what the heck? (laughs) Oh, and and I think that there's probably a few others in there too, that they'll be like, Stacy invented the bird of freedom. Are you telling me that she flips people off? I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) There's a, there's probably more in there too. Mm. Um, but the reality is you are getting, um, Katie and Stacy, you know, um, Unfiltered. In and <laughs> I, th- I would say the school shooter joke is, you know, in, in this world that we're living in, like you mm-hmm. have to be so careful. You can't say master yeah. bedroom, you know, because, oh, that's slavery. You can't say ammunition mm-hmm. for an ideological fight. Oh, because school shooters. And so that was a little bit more tongue in cheek, like, yeah. Yeah. I, you know, get, get over yourself. I mean, obviously yep. neither of us are casual about violence happening in the schools, which absolutely mm-hmm. is a concern um, yeah. and has been, but a lot of it is just kind of pushing back against oversensitivity. I will say that the dying on the beach one, she's like, did I go too far with this? I'm like, <laughs> I, I mean, like, it's it how true? she really and, feels. Yeah. yeah. She's <laughs> like, it's true. These, mm-hmm. she was so savagely attacked by people mm-hmm. that were supposedly friends because those friends would rather have gone with the crowd. They could not deal with the possibility of any kind of social cost or social isolation. So instead they turned on somebody who I know Stacy had offered refuge to and counsel Mm. to. And so the betrayal was so strong and painful that she's like, Mm -hmm. and, and I think in that story, she says, this is my horrible carnal response. This right. is not a sanctified yeah. response, but yeah. it, mm-hmm. but that like turning on people and attacking people, mm. it um, it does not make them more friendly to your argument, which is why she gave that in the introduction of attack ideas, mm-hmm. not people, because she says, right. I've been attacked. Do you think mm-hmm. I'm never going to listen to an argument that any of those women share with me? 
No. Right. Because they have destroyed the ability to have a conversation with me because they savagely attacked me personally. So don't do that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I can't imagine that sort of a trail. It's, it's okay when it's a stranger, right? (laughs) Yeah, you can, you've kind of been through something like that. It's, it's, it's different when it's a stranger than when it's someone that you have walked with and helped through hard things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. It's not easy. All right. So in closing, another thing that Stacy brought up was, you know, when she, I think when her husband ran for office or something being attacked and she was saying at the end, like the experience that her family endured, there was no justice, no happy ending. But the reality is there might not be full on real justice within this life. And so we mm-hmm. have to rise above it. And you mentioned it won't be large platforms that will turn the tide. It will mm-hmm. be ordinary moms and dads. So we have to, you know, instill in our kids in using the steps you laid out. That's a good place to start. Um, and in closing of the book, you ended up saying there's reason to believe that there could be, we could be in a very different place in a few decades because of, and that was kind of enlightening to me because I hadn't really thought about like, I'm, yeah, I'm Mm -hmm. pretty much like a pessimist. Like I live in reality (laughs) And I expect the worst, but hope for the best, but I'm never let down because I always expect the worst type of thing. So (laughs) this was a different perspective. Well, the reality is that conservative women have always had more children. And is it because having children makes you conservative or because conservative women value children and so they have more? Mm, Um, And so we've always had more kids and that is no more starkly recognized than today where like Mm. I look at my conservative friends and they have zero to 12 children. And I look at my liberal friends and they have zero to two. So Mm -hmm. really, if this is kind of a numbers game and Mm -hmm. the problem is that we've largely had our kids, but then we've let the left raise them. So regardless of whether or not your kids are public school, homeschool, private school, if you're raising your own kids and if you're really instilling these values in them to where they are Mm -hmm. not going to be moved by the culture, yes, we're going to be in a very, very different place in a couple decades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, I mean, that's it's a, a logical point. It is. It's, it's it kind of nice to think about. So if we're having all the kids, we just need to remember that we need to be instilling the values. Mm-hmm. We can't just leave it up to chance because right. that's what got us here in the first place. So, yeah. all right, Katie, can you let people know where they can find you? Well, the best place to find me is thembeforeus.com, right? That's my nonprofit and that's where I do most of my work. You can find me on Twitter at advo underscore Katie, K-A-T-Y. That's where I share all of my opinions about everything. Um, I am on Instagram, um, even though I hate it. Like I think Instagram is the most counterintuitive platform ever. So I'm normally on Twitter. Uh, We're on all the social media platforms, Them Before Us. Um, and the book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Raising Conservative Kids in a Woke City. Um, honestly, you should give it out as like um, at like baby showers because it's really a parenting <laughs> philosophy for our day. It's yeah. yes, it's one of those like it's valuable at any time. But you're right. Like to give it to someone who's just starting out would be really valuable. Yeah. It's and I'm idea. sorry for butchering the title at the beginning. I read the whole book, but I didn't really read the title very many times. So. <laughs> I got the information you were inside close. of you were it. Close. Yeah, <laughs> All right. Thank you so much hey, for thanks, coming Katie. on. Katie. I'm a big fan of you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah.